Shalom, and welcome to the Jewish Yogi Podcast with Emily Hertzfeld, the podcast that explores Jewish thought, belief, and practice with yoga, philosophy, values, and practice. Please feel free to reach out on Instagram at the Jewish Yogi or email at the Jewish Yogi at gmail.com. Shalom. This week's upcoming Parsha is Baha'u'llah. There are many stories in Baha'u'llah, and today's nash of an episode is the story about the quail. Baha'u'llah is in the Book of Bamidbar, Numbers, and covers chapters 8 to 12. Part of the Parsha that we are beginning with is from Pasuk 4 through 10, and it says, The mixed multitude among the Israelites began to have strong cravings, and the Israelites once again began to weep. Who's going to give us some meat to eat, they demanded. We fondly remember the fish that we could eat in Egypt at no cost, along with the cucumbers, melon, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now our spirits are dried up, with nothing but the manna before our eyes. The manna was like coriander seed and a pearl-like cluster. The people could simply go for a stroll and gather it. They would then grind it in a hand mill or crush it in a mortar, cooking it in a pan and making it into cakes. It tasted like an oil wafer. At night, when the dew would fall on the camp, the manna would descend on it. Moses heard the people weeping with their families near the entrances of their tents. God became very angry, and Moses considered it wrong. So from this we see that Hashem had supplied the Jews with what they needed to eat, and the Jews complained nonetheless, craving after something they didn't actually need. Then we go on to Pasuk 18-20. through This speaks about what Hashem told Moshe to tell the Jews about his plans regarding this matter. Tell the people as follows, Prepare yourselves for tomorrow. For you will then have meat to eat. You have been whining in God's ears, saying, Who is going to give us some meat to eat? It was better for us in Egypt. Now God is going to give you meat, and you will have to eat it. You will eat it not for one day, not for two days, not for five days, but for ten days, not for twenty days, but for a full month until it is coming out of your nose and making you nauseated. This is because you rejected God now that he is among you, and you whined before him. Why did we ever leave Egypt? End quote. We see from this that Hashem was not happy with their physical cravings since those needs were already met, and in actuality, it was questioning about God. Then we finish with God taking the action he said he would in Pasuk 31 through 34. Quote, God caused a wind to start blowing, sweeping quail up from the sea. They ran out of strength over the camp and were only two cubits above the ground for the distance of a day's journey in each direction. The people went about all that day, all night, and the entire next day and gathered quail. Even those who got the least had gathered ten comers. The people spread them out around the camp. The meat was between their teeth when the people began to die. God's anger was displayed against the people, and he struck them with an extremely severe plague. Moshe named the place Graves of Craving, since it was in that place that they were buried, the people who had these cravings. End quote. Not a very great ending to people with cravings when they already have everything they need from God, the source. So reading these passages makes me think of a parigraha, the fifth yama, yamas being ethical principle towards the world, the first limb of yoga. A parigraha is defined as non-grasping, non-greed, non-attachment, and that you should only take what you need. We learn about a parigraha in the Yoga Sutras in Chapter 2, Sutra 39. In Satyananda's commentary, it is defined as, quote, when non-greed is confirmed, a thorough illumination of the how and why of one birth come, end quote. 
In the wonderful book, The Secret Power of Yoga, by Nishkala Joy Devi, the author translates the sutra as follows. And listen here for the difference. Quote, acknowledging abundance, parigraha, we recognize the blessings in everything and gain insights into the purpose for our worldly existence. End quote. She spins it into something positive and constructive. In her commentary of this sutra, she writes, quote, most importantly, we have distracted ourselves from the true happiness within by, by impeding the access into the spiritual vistas with material wants and needs. If we are able to live within the material energy allotted us and generously use the word, quote, enough, end quote, abundance cascades in our direction. We become free, end quote. Do you know where I'm going with this? Yes. The word enough in quotes completely jumped out at me, and the song Dayenu from the Haggadah came to mind. And quoting it, if he had supplied our needs in the desert for 40 years and had not fed us the manna, Dayenu, it would have been enough. If he had fed us the manna and had not given us the Shabbat, Dayenu, it would have been enough. So it's wonderful that we have this song at the Seder table to help us be grateful. It's a wonderful lesson that we should try and live today. Often when we appreciate and value what we have, we become quite content with what we have and wind up not needing much beyond it. In the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 3, paragraph 43, it says, quote, Knowing the self, sustaining the self by the self, Arjuna, kill the difficult-to-conquer enemy called desire, end quote. Again, we see, looking at all these texts, the Bhagavad Gita talks about the desire. The Yoga Sutra talks about trying to be grateful for what we have, and the non-greed will help us to see where we're going. Looking at all these texts, we see and we learn that grasping and craving for stuff we don't actually need, like when we had the mana, only brings trouble and impedes our access to the spiritual. So what does this mean for us in our lives? Firstly, on our mats, we can do the Ganesh Mudra. To do Ganesh Mudra, bring your left hand in front of your heart, palm up, parallel to the floor. Place your right hand, palm down, on top of your left hand, so it's palm to palm. Next, curl your fingers so that they hook into each other. Keeping this mudra, you can gently pull the fingers into each other, though. A good pose that supports a parigraha is noose pose. You begin in chair pose, and then you bend your knees, bringing your torso down to sit onto your heels as they come off the floor, so that now your feet are just on the toes and the balls of the feet. While balancing on the balls of your feet in noose pose, see if you can do Ganesh Mudra at the same time. Then you can revolve from side to side. When you twist to one side, see if you can be mindful of what you can let go of. When you twist to the other side, see if you can be grateful for what you have. A breathing technique that supports a parigraha is Kumbhakaya Pranayama. The essence of this technique is a 1 to 1 to 2 ratio. So you can begin by breathing in through your nose for a 4 count and then holding your breath for a 4 count. When you breathe out through your nose, it would be for an 8 count with this ratio. This reflects the idea of a parigraha and letting go. One thing to keep in mind when on our mat is trying to work on a parigraha to let go of our expectations of what we can do. Make plans and set goals, but don't grasp at them, since they might wind up being something other than what you expected. We can take this further off our mat as well. 
Try and trust in God and give thanks for what you have and take only what you need. This can be about material things as well as ideas. We'll see you next time. Shalom!